0: Um, yeah, just before I get going, I think um, we need to be thankful to God because um, we are ridiculously blessed with these guys who are leading worship and, and who lead worship. I know I'd lead worship. I'm trying to devoid myself of that. But, but wow, thank you. That was, you know, we're, we're really blessed. And I think we should be grateful to God uh, and to you guys for that. Okay, we are... Continuing with our Ten Commandments, and so this morning's, if you um, don't know, if you haven't been following, this morning's one is from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, and it says, you shall not steal. Amen. Thanks. If only, if only it was that simple, because um, I was looking at this and I'm going, okay, this, this is going to be fairly straightforward. Oh, fool me. Um, I came to a point where I almost wanted to put a warning health hazard at the beginning of this sermon because I've gone away feeling really rubbish. So you're going to join me in that. All right? Just to give you a bit of warning. Anyway, so we're, we're talking about do, do not steal. And it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, I don't think many of us would argue with that, especially if you've ever been a victim of someone stealing something, whether it's your lunch, whenever you were seven, or whether you've been burgled. I remember we were burgled about 15 years ago. It was a horrible feeling. And uh, I think we can all agree we don't like stealing. And really weird things connect in my head sometimes. Ancient laws and toddler groups. This is a a thing called a stele. It's a stone tablet. It's actually called the law code of Hammurabi and it is currently in the Louvre in Paris, and it is one of the oldest uh, amalgamations of laws in the world. There's one that's older. It's called the law code of Ur-Namu, which I think is just made up, to be honest, that name. And uh, what's interesting about these codes, they're about 5,000 years old. They're really, really special, like the earliest laws written down. And number two on the Ur-Namu stele, and number 22 on the law code of Hammurabi here, is if you steal, you'll be killed. They didn't have a problem with crime in those days. It was there because it was a real issue. Now, I have discovered a hotbed of kleptomania at Skipton Baptist Church. In messy hands, on a Monday and a Tuesday, I hear some words that tell me of the hive of thievery that's going on. When I hear, that's mine, give it back! As one toddler takes Mr. Potato Head from another. Because we know how to steal, don't we? And those tones of give it back tell me that... Messy hands on a Monday morning, or a Tuesday afternoon, or a Tuesday morning, and the law code of Hammurabi from 5,000 years ago tells me that stealing is an issue. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had a law, and we wouldn't have toddlers going, that's mine, I want it back. It's an issue that we need to look at. The Eighth Commandment is interesting, because in one sense, it looks really stark and really bare. It's just like, do not steal, and it seems really straightforward, and in many ways it is. But it's... Of all the commandments, it's, it's the starkest, even compared to do not murder. Remember, do not murder, I'm not spoiling it for a couple of weeks' time, isn't do not kill. It has a direction. Do not kill an innocent person. That's what do not murder is. Coveting is not coveting your neighbor's donkey and house and everything like that. Adultery is not focusing on... Um, sorry, I just realized I should change the slide. Stealing's at the heart of this. Adultery is, is not stealing uh, another person's spouse. I really need to catch up here. Here we go. Murdering is stealing another person's uh, life. I was going to say wife, but I've done that one already. <laughs> Goodness me. False witness is stealing truth. It's stealing justice. What about honoring parents? It's actually stealing the honor that is deserved by parents. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks' time. And when we get to God, the idolatry gods and the Sabbath, we are, we are stealing from what is deservedly gods. So ironically, at the very heart of the commandments is the whole concept of do not steal. That's why it's so stark. So when we say do not steal, there's no direction, there's no uh, sub points, it just says do not steal, period, full stop. So we've got to deal with that. And it's actually the heart of this, these commandments in a way. Because whilst we, see strange things connect in my head, cow napping in the global network. It was easier in the Old Testament times in kind of Old Testament times with Israel, you could see someone carrying the kai off on their shoulders. It was, it was localized. It was small. It was nearby. You could go and find where your branded kai was. It was localized. Today, it's really complex because we live in a global network. So it is possible for someone, I don't know, in Saudi Arabia, to have access to the Skipton Baptist Church credit card and buy £100 worth of iTunes downloads, which they did in November. We got the money back. It's all right. Someone in Saudi Arabia stole from us. How do you do that? It's thousands of miles away. It isn't kidnapping. So it's got even more complex, this whole idea of do not steal. Because obviously we, we agree, yeah, don't steal, really bad, very naughty. We have outrage when we read the headlines about theft. But theft comes in many forms. I've taken the entirety of kleptomania and put it into four categories. Thank you very much the big and the obvious, the big and the hidden, the small and the obvious, and the small and the hidden. So I want you to look at this and work out, you know, am I in any of these categories? And I promise you, if you do confess to any of them, we'll give you a head start before we tell the police, okay? Maybe you're involved in the big and the obvious, burglary, heists, international fraud, tax evasion, insider trading and corporate espionage, the big high ticket things, you know, the, the hidden garden heist, diamond theft, the great train robbery all those big things that hit the headlines, big, obvious theft. But then there's the big and hidden theft, PPI. Have you been sold PPI? Have you been told that you've been sold PPI on the telephone by someone he didn't ask? Okay, some people say that's stealing. Fake goods, online fraud, identity theft, data theft, underpaying, overcharging, all these things that are stealing, but they're kind of hidden. They're big, they're massive, they're international, but they're a secret. They're hidden. They're not as obvious. But then we come to the small, but the obvious, a localized kind of stealing. And we have things like shoplifting, no one will notice when I take that you know, packet of butter. Butter? I don't know. Uh, mugging, con artists, pickpockets, rogue traders, things that are localized. They're small, but they're clearly, obviously, stealing. And then as you start shifting a little bit in your seats, we start to look at the small but the hidden. Hotel stuff. Okay, you can pretend that you've not taken a shampoo <laughs> bottle. Okay, admittedly some people actually some hotels say that they um, they take into account whenever people, you know, things like toiletries. However, these are the top 10 items that have been st- that are stolen from hotels. You ready? Number 10, Bibles. I'm all right with that. <laughs> You're going to be in a bit of a shock when they get to Exodus 20. Um <laughs> books. People steal books, people actually steal the kettle, curtains, artwork from the wall, and even weirder, the frames the artwork is in, cutlery, food and drink, number two, batteries from the remote control, light bulbs. And finally, the obvious one, towels and linen. That's a lovely dress and going, in the bag it goes. That's only one little kind of silly example, but it happens and it costs millions to replace these things. But maybe not just you having a little pilfer of a hotel things when you're away, when we turn into kleptomaniacs, but expenses, when you put your expenses in, are they correct, are they accurate? Taxes, we don't really want to pay on them. Can we Is there any way of getting around them? We hear the headlines, of the big ones, but actually... Do we? Are we fastidious about our tax returns? What about those borrowed goods that you've just not returned? Downloading stuff. We have to stand here and say we are guilty because we use images and we don't know whether we've paid for them or whether we need to pay for them or whether we don't. So invariably, we will have breached copyright at times, even if we didn't want to. We all do. We all copy and paste and things like that. And we want to be better at that, but we do. Plagiarism, when you take, you say something is your work and it's actually someone else's. One of the best examples was when I was at um, Nazarene College. One person I heard had submitted an essay which was pretty much just copied and pasted quotes and text from other various different authors. What they didn't count on was that the person marking it had a photographic memory. And so recognized every single quote on it and said, I'm sorry, you've been, that's plagiarizing. No, it's not. And I tell you, I'm sorry, that's from this person, that's from this person, that's from this person, that's from this person. Plagiarism. What about work goods? Well, there's a huge amount of money with people who say, well, I'll just take these couple of coffee sachets or that watch of paper. Or they won't mind if I take an extra long lunch break here. No one will notice. What about the wrong change? It should have costed 20 pounds. They only charged me 10. Oh, well, I'm in a rush. I'm not going to go back. All these things, big and obvious, right down to the small and the hidden. Now, I'm going to ask, you know, are we thieves? Certainly, I probably would have said I'm not, but maybe sometimes I could be. And maybe you're all going to report me. I hope not. (laughs) We may not be thieves in this particular way. But we need to be aware of these kind of phrases that we use to dampen things down. It's okay, whoever it is can afford it. It's a big company, they won't notice it. Or they account for this in their pricing, so therefore it's okay for me to take it. Or they left it here, they obviously don't want it, so I might as well take it. Nobody else wants it. Or everyone is doing it, so what's the problem? These are all excuses and cover-up, comfortable words for whenever we engage, even in small and hidden thievery. So why is actually this whole point, why is stealing so bad? One of the key things about why it's so bad is because there is always a cost. Whether it's a diamond heist, or whether it's 600 pens being taken from your company every year by 600 different employees, there is always a cost that someone has to meet. They have to be paid for. British Retail Consortium in 2015 said shoplifting, the cost of shoplifting was 335 million pounds in one year. And Experian, the credit expert said, the cost of fraud in one year is over 190 billion pounds. There is a cost to stealing in all its forms, big or small, and at some level, every theft someone pays for. Often it's the victim and their losses, that's the obvious one. There's also the emotional upset, if you've ever had your house broken into, the feeling of a violation, the loss of sentimental things, maybe not even the expense of things, it's a horrible price to pay. But also, in the bigger corporations and companies, hotels, restaurants, they Increased prices to cover for the things that people have stolen. Someone pays it. Someone pays it in their insurance premiums. You know that if, if there's a theft, your insurance premium goes up. Basically, if you sneeze the wrong way, your insurance premium goes up. Or the area gets a bad reputation. I wouldn't go and leave your car there because... Or actually, that's not a good place to look for a house because... You can look online to find out the crime rates and the, thie- the stealing rates and burglary rates for your area and where you want to move to because all theft, all stealing has a cost. And what about the cost to increased security? Because we become insecure and scared with thefts. So we buy locks, we get alarms fitted, we have dogs, we have guards, we have CCTV, we've got passwords, we've got double authentication passwords, we've got software to protect our identity online to make sure no one can steal it. And all of that comes at a cost as well, as well as the cost of a bit of paranoia. And the knock-on effect is that we hold even tighter our possessions and the things that we own because we're scared that it's going to be taken from us and so our grip just gets a little bit stronger. People say the good old days you could leave your house door open and you'd know that nothing was going to be taken. I'm not entirely sure it was completely that well that way. Otherwise we wouldn't have had a Hammurabi code 5000 years ago saying do not steal. But I think one explanation is why stealing is bad is that it affects people. There's a cost. But I think it reveals a deeper thing about us. And we're going to look at three things just briefly. Why is stealing so bad? First of all, it's about self over others. It's about stuff over people. And it's about self and stuff over God. This whole concept of self over others, another way of looking at it, is selfishness. When you decide, my needs, my desires are more important than that person's. So if I want it, I will take it. And that can be from the biggest heist right down to the smallest hidden thing. I want it. My wants are more than your wants. So therefore, I will have it. I'm more important. That's the fundamental of stealing, isn't it? I want it. You may have it. I'm taking it. Maybe the most heinous version of this is greed versus need. The Bible's got a number of examples. We have the story of Ahab, the king in Israel, who wanted a vineyard, and so um, he moaned about it, couldn't get it, so it's stolen, even though he had loads of things. We have the classic story about David and Bathsheba, where Nathan comes and tells a story of a man who had loads of sheep. His neighbor had one lamb, and he takes the lamb as a, for a feast for his friends. Greed versus need, and maybe that immediately brings these pictures of these big fat cat bankers because that's the caricature we've been given. Because it couldn't possibly be us, could it? I was really challenged with the reversal of this a number of years ago in Need versus Greed. Helen and I were on part of our honeymoon. We went to South Africa. We were on this bus tour because we couldn't drive then. We were on a bus tour. And the, the guide who was taking us on this tour... Um, We were driving down through this area, and on pretty much one side of the road, there was a really run-down township, not very much, really impoverished. And virtually across the road, just up on a hill, was a big, rich enclosure, big walls, high fences. There was barbed wire security guards, and there was luxurious houses with swimming pools and everything you could possibly want. Such such dichotomy in this one place. And he told the story about uh, one man from the township that actually had crossed the road and climbed up, gone over the the wall, through the fence, broke into a house and stole some stuff in order to go home and feed his family. And the people on the bus are going, oh, that's awful, (gasps) stealing. And I was shocked because the the tour guide said, before you jump to consideration, this guy was stealing from someone who had a huge amount in order to feed his starving family. Who's guilty in that? And I'm not making judgments about the morality of this, but it really challenged me to think, what are our situations that cause people to be in that situation? Because stealing can be a cause, but it can also be a consequence of the situation that people find themselves in. And how have people got to that situation? If people are forced to steal in order to live from those whose greed caused the need in the first place, who is the guilty one? But the thing is, we have a very sanitized picture. I don't know, has anyone ever watched the TV series Hustle? The con is on. Or the movie Ocean's Eleven. Or maybe if if you're not like that, a bit of Errol Flynn as Robin Hood. And the idea of the noble thief. Stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Hustle Hustle says you can only, you can't steal or you can't uh, con an honest man. And their victims of their cons. are always really rich, nasty people and they're benefactors are always poor, impoverished, and it's all very noble. But is it really? Now, I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that it is ever right to steal. All right? Okay, just want to clear that up. But maybe this commandment, do not steal, is a little bit more complex than the simplistic way of looking at it. It's a little bit less clear cut because we live in a world where there are 2,000 billionaires with a total uh, fortune of about $6 trillion in the same world where there are starving children and adults, men and women in this world where they don't have food, water, safety provision, shelter, or basic sanitation. In the same world, sometimes even in the same country. And we may just focus on the big fat cats and not realize that we are complicit in this because we are part of the richest percentage of the world. We're part of that. Now, this is um, whilst realizing that we are also in a place in the UK where the disparity between rich and poor is getting wider and wider. Hence why, as the church, we have CAP, we have Job Club, we have Food Bank, we have mental health provision because of the state of affairs of things. But this is the world in which we live in, in which we and our families and our descendants, or sorry, our ancestors have been part of making this culture. So if it was self over others, putting our our own desires over some other uh, person's desires, we also have a thing called stuff over people. What I mean by stuff, I'm talking about money, possessions, things, luxuries, position, power, influence, lifestyle. That kind of stuff over people. And a way that is described as often materialism. That stuff is more important than people. I found this quote a while ago. I gladly found it again, which I think is an amazing quote. And it says this. People were created to be loved. Things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in such chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. Doesn't that sum up where we're at in so many ways? And it's not just this global specter of aren't humans bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to wise up to the fact that we may be part of this. We may be part of the culture of using people and loving things. Whether that's in our workplace or whether that's in our home. We could be buying into this ideology without even thinking about it. So when it says do not steal and we just go, well, it's not Relevant to me, maybe we need to stop and think about it. Are we complicit? This is too often the driving force behind our consumerist global economy. It's really interesting that Exodus 20, verse 15, just simply says, Do not steal. But in the very earliest interpretations of it in the Jewish religious writings, in what's called the Mishnah, they understood it as Do not steal people, first and foremost. This was about kidnapping and slavery was the first understanding of do not steal by the Jewish rabbis. And this was in opposition to the common practice at the time where in Old Testament times, in the times of of the exile, you could go and overpower someone and take them and they were your slave. They had to do your your bidding. It was common. And I have to say, (laughs) Contrary to what some people suggest, the Bible and the Old Testament is not, does not endorse slavery. It does not uh, excuse slavery. If you want to know for a fact, it says in Exodus 21 verse 16, after do not steal, it says in Exodus 21 16, that anybody who kidnaps another person and puts him into slavery deserves to die. Okay, that's pretty black and white, isn't it? And when we read about slavery in the Old Testament from Israel's point of view, it's what actually is called indentured servitude. And what that means is it's actually a grace-filled way. You are in mega debt, then you sell yourself in service until you pay off that debt, and then you are free. It was actually a thing to help you be free, as opposed to always be um, indebted to someone. And even in spite of that, that's why you read in loads of places about Jubilee. Every seven years, even if they haven't paid off their debt, free them. This is radical because people are more important than the stuff. In spite of the campaign work like reformers, like Wilberforce today, slavery is a bigger issue than it ever has been. According to the experts, 40 million people, at least 40 million people, are in some form of human trafficking slavery. That's about 25 million are forced labour and about 15 million in forced marriages. And apparently, the, I mean this is apparently, because you can never know the full story, human trafficking and human slavery brings in about $150 billion a year to those who are involved in it. This is the selling of human beings. We are really privileged to know people who have been involved in the whole trafficking, uh, anti-trafficking. Lara, one of our own, is one of the pioneers, one of the experts in helping people who've been involved, who've been victims of trafficking, because this is a real situation. It's a big hot potato in Parliament at the moment. That's why Lara is always down at Westminster talking to really, really big people, (laughs) because this is an issue, and it's a live issue. Uh, I am not saying in any way that we are involved in human trafficking. God forbid but this is happening on our watch. We are meant to be the people of God bringing in the kingdom of God and its values into this world, and this world at the moment has this going on. So this is why Stop the Traffic Hope for Justice a Snowdrop Project in the name of Jesus Christ, are campaigning to say people are not property. You should not steal. That's quite extreme though. Maybe less obvious are some things that maybe are a bit closer to home like zero hours contracts. Really poor conditions for people living and working. Contracts which are incredibly exploitative even in this country but even beyond this country to other countries. We like to get cheap stuff to fill our wardrobes with luxurious clothes, don't we? All of us do, no matter how fashionable you are. We like a bargain, and we often don't think, why is this so cheap? And it may be cheap, because the person who has made it is being paid a ridiculously low amount. And the profits from that purchase is not going to the producer, but it's going to someone else who's driving a Mercedes. I'm not (laughs) dissing Mercedes. They're very nice cars. That's why the Fair Trade Organization has grown and grown and grown And it's really, really popular because ethics in economics is really important. There are many places in the world with much better conditions because of the fair trade campaigning. Because if we have a global economy with global benefits, we should have a global conscience, especially as God's people. no way, and this is why I wanted to put a warning sign, this was just a bit challenging preparing this sermon, because I know the areas I fall down personally. I know the areas we as a church fall down in all of these areas. We need to think about how we use and how we invest our money, because we are, many of us are very, very blessed. How are we using that blessing a number of years ago, Helen and I had um, a little bit of savings. We've had children since then, so we don't anymore. Um, but we, we met with a financial advisor, and we said, we'd like to put this money into an ethical investment. And he went, you what? We said, we'd like to put it into an ethical investment. He said, okay, so, um, well, okay, let's put it into this investment, because it's got a better return. You have more money. No, we want to put it in this ethical investment. But that doesn't bring you as much money. Yeah, we know that, but it's ethical. I'm sorry, I don't get what you're saying. He could not comprehend that we didn't want to have our money in things that might bring more money back to us, but actually, conscience-wise, we couldn't agree to. Because that's the world in which we live in, isn't it? But it's not just economic. It's not just about ethics. We also may be complicit in the stealing from our children. And I'm not talking about raiding the piggy bank when you need a pound coin for the trolley. <laughs> I'm also not thinking about raiding the pension pot or the you know, inheritance. I'm, not, I'm talking about the environment. Now, I am not... You probably know I'm not a tree-hugging, green-swing-from-the-chandeliers kind of, you know, uh, I'm I'm not like that. But I am becoming more and more aware that the people of God should be standing up for ecology. Because we've been given the guardianship of this world as the people of God. And we are part of the situation which is an excessive use of natural resources which is producing an excessive amount of waste. That's the world in which we live in. That's the world in which we're part of. And yet, our recycling bins may be a small rebellion against that, but it's incredibly important. The people of God should be not stealing from future generations. We should be on the case like those children who who are campaigning on Friday, striking from school. That's a clever move, isn't it? Now, but striking from school and the people who are heading it, saying, because we want you to pay attention to the fact that it's our planet and you're stealing from us. This thou shalt not steal is getting a bit more complicated, isn't it? The final one self over others, stuff over people, and ultimately, at the very heart, it's about self and stuff over God. This fueling our stealing and the disposal and disregard of the Eighth Commandment. It's about the pursuit of possessions for purpose. It's about the search for satisfaction in stuff. That's what we are part of as a world. That's what we often do. And we replace God for those things. And it's also called, in a more kind of christian word, idolatry. The robbing of God from His place. Exodus 20, verse 15, this and the other commandments in their context, and it's really important that we know the context. That's why we read um, Exodus 16 earlier. Israel has just been freed from Egypt after 300 years as slaves. They didn't have a great deal. And so Egypt, it says in the Exodus, Egypt gave them the plunder of, of the land. So they came away with gold and silver. Now, I don't know about you, but apparently in the, in the desert, there aren't many supermarkets. So gold and silver isn't useful. Gold and silver for the Israelites was not currency. It was actually a burden. Because all their needs were being met by God. From their freedom to guidance to, as we read, manna from heaven, quail and water. God provided these. And he says, take what you need. Because if you, don't, if you take more than you need, it will spoil Isn't that a brilliant picture of us and our wealth? Is that if you have much more than you really need, it spoils and becomes maggot ridden. Although if you're bare grills, you probably think that's a meal. You don't haven't watched Born Survivor, okay. dissatisfaction and ingratitude for God's provision leads to grumbling. And that's the context of Exodus chapter 16. And it's the context where God says, do not steal. Here, when they've not got a great deal at all, they are nomadic travelers with herding a few cattle and their belongings is all they can carry. With so very little, God says, do not steal. Because if you steal, you're strabbing someone's things that they need to live. I'm preparing you for a time when you will have a land full of milk and honey and cattle and property and land. You get this principle now. The thing is, increasing our possessions, we forget a simple truth that all we have is given to us by God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in heaven and earth is yours, O God. Everything belongs to God. He has given it to us. We are stewards of it. Even if we've earned it, worked hard for it, it is a gift from God. He's given you the ability to earn it. And we have to be grateful. Because so often we're interested in the gifts rather than the giver. And that is idolatry. That's where stealing ticks off commandment 1, 2, 3, and 4. No idols, no other gods. Respecting God's name and keeping his Sabbath um, revered. Robbing God of his glory, his credit, his worship, and robbing him of the gratitude he deserves. Because God has given us loads of blessings. And we have these blessings not to make us have a comfortable life, but in order to bless others. It's one of those words God has spoken over to us, especially through the song, you are blessed to bless a world in pieces. That was the whole point of the people of God. You are blessed in order to bless. Malachi 3 verse 8 talks about, will you rob God from your tithes? Will you hoard treasure for yourself and not give it to what God wants you to do? And a few more chapters into the New Testament, we have Matthew chapter 25 and Jesus talking about talents. God gives you loads of stuff, you bury it, you don't use it for God's glory, you get it removed from you. God has given you stuff in order to bless others. Or do we keep our talents and our abilities and our gifts to ourselves? To make money for ourselves and make our lives comfortable. Antidotes. Very quickly. They're all G's. Gratitude. If we are grateful, if we appreciate, if we have contentment, which is what Paul writes in Philippians 4, then we become less dependent on seeking other things, other acquisitions. Counter- acquiring wealth and, and hoarding and the threat of stealing with generosity. Giving stuff away, First Timothy 6 and 18 says, be generous. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul talks to people who were thieves. He said, stop stealing and instead do some work. Why? Because you learn the value of what things cost and you appreciate them more and you know it's a sacrifice. And you know someone else has worked for something that you might be taking. So often we're told to get a grip, aren't we? Actually, I think the opposite is true. We should let go. We should hold things lightly. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Where is your treasure? Is it gold and silver that will rot and go away? Or is there something else? Is God more important than your stuff? Loose your grip on possessions. And then you'll be less tempted to covet or to steal. And finally, guard. Psalm 139 says, Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me. Sort me out. Look at what I've got. Am I complicit? Am I receiving stolen goods? Am I aware of where I am involved in the robbing of people's freedom, their income, and their time? So that was a brief summary of Do Not Steal. Amen.